0: Well, good morning, everybody, and glad you're here. Uh, yeah, it is still weird to be... Preaching in front of a camera. I'm really grateful though for the people that, uh, help with this whole process. Uh, Jeremy Galindo has put in countless hours, not only helping us to figure out how to do all this, but, but helping to package it all together and make sure that it, it gets delivered out to you. I'm also grateful for, for Bobby and for Alan for all the work that they've done to help out with this. Uh, my daughter Gracie is running the camera. So, uh, they're my audience as I'm, uh, sharing this message this morning. Uh, our church name is Calvary Baptist Church. And, and, and if you think about it, Calvary is a weird name for a church. I mean, do you guys know what Calvary, like, literally means? I think sometimes people think that, that, uh, Calvary are the guys who ride in on horses and save the day. But that's, that's c- cavalry. It's the same letters, just like the L is in a is in a different spot. Uh, no, no, the word Calvary has has a very particular meaning. Uh, in it is the Latin word for Golgotha, and Golgotha is the Hebrew word for skull or place of the skull. In John nineteen seven, it says they took Jesus therefore, and he went out bearing his own cross. To the place called the place of a skull, which is called in Hebrew, Golgotha. It's weird that, that one of the most common church names out there literally means skull. Uh, there's, there's this like big hipster church uh, in Montana that decided that they would just go ahead and translate it. And, and their church is, is actually called Skull Church. Which seems awesome to me. Uh, I think I think we'll probably stick with with Calvary, but if we ever decide to like do a hipster plant, there is a hundred percent chance that it's going to be called Skull Church because I think that's cool. Uh, the reason that Calvary is such a popular name for a church is because of what happened there at Golgotha. On on. Good Friday, just a couple days ago, we talked a little bit about what what happened there. Uh, I read through John 19. Uh, In case you missed it, let me just briefly summarize what what happened. Uh, Jesus is arrested. He's tried. And, And he's found innocent. He's found innocent by Herod. He's found innocent by Pilate. Like a couple of times, Pilate says, I find no guilt in this man. But the Jewish leaders and, and the mob, they demand blood. So Pilate hands Jesus over to them. They, they take Jesus out and they make him carry his own cross. We know that, that he only made it part of the way, and, and so they recruited a guy named Simon who has to help carry the cross the rest of the way up that hill. Beaten and bloodied and humiliated. They parade him uh, out of town up the hill called Golgotha or, or Calvary or the place of the skull, and they planted him in the ground. The, the place was called Golgotha probably for a couple of reasons because it was a, was a hill that looked like a skull but it's also because it was a place of death and suffering and pain. It was a place that was no doubt feared by children and, and by adults. It was right by a main road, it says. So it was in public view because capital punishment was intended to be a deterrent. And there's no doubt that anybody who would have walked by and seen the, the brutality, the goriness of death on a cross would have definitely thought twice about committing a crime it was was at that place that jesus is is nailed to the cross hangs there a place known for for fear and for for pain and for suffering but because of what Jesus did there, he, he changed all that. He changed this place of, of death and fear and suffering into a place of, of hope and of life and of joy. He changed th- this place that, that the, the mention of that name, Golgotha or Calvary, brought brought fear. Instead, it brings hope and life and joy. And it's, it has, it has a a name that we want to, we want to attach to our churches because there's so much joy there now. Because at Calvary, all of these promises of God are fulfilled. At Calvary, the amazing love of Jesus Christ is displayed for everybody to see. And at Calvary, our salvation is fully secured. Let me, let me uh, read the rest of the story starting in John chapter 20, verse 1. It says, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. She ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple. They were going towards the tomb. Both of them were running together. The other disciple outrun Peter and and reached the tomb first, stooping to look in. He saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw, believed. For as yet they did not understand the Scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. At Calvary, all of these amazing promises of God are fulfilled. And, and John makes it a point to point out a number of them. Like, like we saw uh, in, in John 19, G, uh, John tells us about Jesus going out carrying his cross. Jesus never fights back or struggles against his captors. Even when Peter tries to fight back and protect Jesus Jesus stops him. Jesus willingly submitted to the cross in direct fulfillment of Isaiah 53.7. He was oppressed and He was afflicted, yet He did not open His mouth. Like a lamb that's been led to slaughter, like a sheep that is silent before its shears, so He did not open His mouth. The 22nd Psalm, one of my favorite psalms in the whole Bible because it's all about what Jesus has accomplished for us. It also describes this suffering servant in amazing detail, especially because that psalm was written hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus was even born. In that psalm, even the method of Jesus' execution is described. Psalm 22.16, it says, Dogs have surrounded me. A band of evildoers has encompassed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. John tells us that the soldiers divided up his garments, cast lots for the largest piece of his clothing. In Psalm 22.18, it says, They divide my garments among them for my clothing they cast lots even even the fact that Jesus was crucified alongside those robbers was a was a fulfillment of old testament prophecy Isaiah 53:12 he poured out himself to death was numbered with the transgressors yet he himself bore the sin of many and interceded for the transgressors in John 19:28 says after this Jesus knowing that all things had already been accomplished to fulfill scripture said I am thirsty so even that little detail that Jesus was given the the vinegar and the gall to drink was forecast ahead of time psalm 69:21 says they also gave me gall for my food for my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink after the, the death and resurrection of Jesus, all of these Old Testament references become crystal clear. The, the resurrected Jesus on that, that road to Emmaus meets up with uh, two men and, and is able to point them back, show them, going all the way back to Genesis and showing how all of these things from the Old Testament point ultimately to Him and to what He would come and do. Thousands and thousands of prophecies have been perfectly fulfilled in Jesus. Because God is a God of details. Everything from the place of His birth to the final detail of His death was a part of the plan of God from the very beginning. And the picture that we see in Scripture is of a God who is powerful and is sovereign and is in control we serve a mighty God. We serve a God who is able to clean up this ugly mess that we have made. All of those prophecies about Jesus' suffering and death were, were difficult to understand beforehand. But they, wait, they, make, they make so much more sense in light of the resurrection. God even promised that Jesus would conquer death. In Psalm 16.10 it says, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. Jesus' death paid the penalty for our sin and Jesus' resurrection shows that death has been conquered and that Jesus is the Lord of Lords. In Romans 4, uh, Paul is talking about the saving faith of Abraham, how it was because of, of his faith in God and the promises that God made to him that, that that's where his righteousness came from. He was counted as righteous, considered righteous because he trusted and placed his faith in God. And Paul explains this in Romans chapter 4. Verse 20, he says, uh, No unbelief made him, Abraham, waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. Fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believed in Him, who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead. Who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. So what Paul is saying there is that, is that we too are counted or, or considered righteous in the eyes of God when we place our faith in the Lord Jesus when we believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus Christ it's it's the that that faith and that hope in what Jesus has accomplished on that on that hill at calvary that saves us oh man the the unbelievable beauty An immensity of God's providence is on display here. It's too much for us to even fully understand. This sovereign God has been hard at work to redeem us and to save us and to reconcile us back to Him since the very beginning. Only God could accomplish this. Okay, so at at Calvary, all those promises, all those prophecies of God are are fulfilled and are accomplished. And and the amazing sovereignty of God is seen and revealed. But we also see in John's Gospel that that at Calvary, this amazing love of Jesus Christ is displayed to us. Maybe one of the most uh, moving interactions in, in this whole story of the resurrection uh, is uh, found here in John chapter 20 between Mary Magdalene and Jesus. Uh, let's keep reading. John uh, chapter 20, starting in verse uh, 11. It says, But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, saw Jesus standing, but she did not know it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, "Rabbi," which means teacher, Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to him, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he said these things to her. Every every time I read that section, I get chills. I mean, it starts off by by showing just the depth of love and devotion that Mary has for Jesus. I mean, after coming and seeing the stone gone and Jesus not there, she runs back and tells Peter and John. They run and check it out, and they, they don't fight anything. And so Mary returns to the tomb and is is distraught, weeping. Understandably so. And as she looks into the tomb, what she sees there are two angels asking her the question, "Why are you crying?" and I, And I don't think they're asking the question in like a in like a mean or accusatory way i think I think they're asking that question in a loving and reassuring way. And I don't know. At that point, if it were me, I think I would maybe stop crying for a second and ask a couple of questions because there's angels in there. She doesn't really have much time. The next thing she knows, there's a guy standing behind her asking the same question. Why are you crying? Who are you looking for? She thinks he's the gardener. And says, "Uh, they've taken him away. They've taken my Lord. I don't know where he is. If you've taken him somewhere, just tell me. I'll go get him myself and bring him back. And she doesn't recognize that it's Jesus standing right there. And I don't know why. Maybe because of, maybe because of the tears. Maybe because Jesus looks a lot different than the last time she saw him. But with but with one single word, she, she knows who it is. Jesus is able. To transform this deep grief and sorrow into absolute joy with just one word. He, he simply says to her, Mary. She softly says her name. And she sees and knows exactly who it is and knows exactly what that means. And she, she's filled with joy and she grabs a hold of him to the point where Jesus has to say, okay, stop clinging to me. It's, it's almost like she doesn't want to lose him again. She, she clings tight to him. I don't know, can you remember a point in your life when that happened for you? I mean, I I grew up hearing the name of Jesus my whole life. But there was a point in my own personal life when I realized the depth of my sin and, and how it had separated me from God, how unworthy I was. And when I realized for the first time just how much Jesus loved me and how much He had given for me, It's it's like it was personal to me, finally. Like Jesus was saying, my name. And so with tears in my eye, I I gave my life to Him. Clung fast to Jesus and, and have never let go. At Calvary, the amazing love of God was on full display. The love of Jesus is poured out to every single one of us. Romans 5.8, it says, But God demonstrates his own love towards us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And then a little later on, in one of his letters, John says this, There is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. Whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because He first loved us. At Calvary, we bear witness to to the perfect manifestation of love. There is no greater love. No greater act of love. No greater Savior than Jesus. Because of that great love at Calvary, our salvation was secured for us by Jesus Christ. Look look at the next section there in John chapter 20. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When He had said this, He showed them His hands and His side. The disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. I think it's interesting how in this section here, Jesus says that word shalom, that word that word, peace, peace be with you. Not just once, but twice. I think it's more than a simple greeting here in this context. I think this also might have been Jesus declaring peace. I'm bringing peace. I have brought about peace on earth, just like it was declared by those angels at my birth. There is now peace, peace between men and God. And just as the Father has sent me to bring about this peace, I'm sending you out to proclaim this peace to everybody. He, he says here, look at my hands, look at my side. I want you to know that I'm, I'm really risen from the dead. I'm, I'm not just a ghost. See me and, and touch me. Know that I'm a real and that I'm, I'm alive. I'm resurrected. I've conquered the grave. And and I think the reason that he wants them to see him and and feel him is so that they can then go out and and be eyewitnesses to the fact that Jesus is resurrected from the dead. They can give a firsthand report that there's now this peace and this hope and this life through Jesus. And then Jesus uh, says, There's this coming Holy Spirit, just like I promised and there's salvation, and there's forgiveness of sin that you get to go out and declare. What we have here in the Gospel of John and in and in all of the Gospels are these eyewitness accounts of the life and the teaching and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We have this message of salvation that has been declared to us And and the message is is a simple one. Through faith in Jesus, our sins are forgiven, and we're saved. I love this next part here in John chapter twenty. Thomas wasn't there when Jesus appears to his disciples. It says, Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We've seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger in the mark of uh, the nails, and place my hand in his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, the disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Put put your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, You've believed because you have seen me. Blessed are those who have not seen and have yet believed. Jesus is talking about, about us there, about those who will believe, even though we don't get a chance to see. We believe because of the testimony of these disciples we believe because we have we've read and we've heard about what jesus has done for us we believe because of that holy spirit that has convicted us of our sin and our guilt we believe because we've we've seen and understood this love of god that has been poured out on us through jesus Listen, if this morning you are somebody who maybe has been a doubting Thomas in the past, but today you finally see and understand and get exactly what this, this whole salvation through Jesus thing is about and, and, and who he is and why he came and what that means. If, if today you understand the weight of your sin, and you believe that Jesus really did die to pay that debt, and you believe that He really did rise from the dead to conquer death, and that He really does offer hope and peace and life to to all those who believe, then let me invite you to place your faith in Jesus Christ right now today. It's not something that's all that complicated. It doesn't require uh, a whole lot of uh, works or actions on our part, really. Paul puts it pretty simple. In, in Romans chapter 10, Paul says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you are saved. And so I want to give you a chance to do that very thing right now. If 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 you would bow your heads, even though you're at home in your living room, still bow your heads, close your eyes, and pray with me. Dear God, I confess that I'm a sinner. I know that I'm I'm helpless to save myself. Thank you, God, for sending Jesus to come and die for my sin. Thank you that through the resurrection, I know that I too can have new life. Thank you for loving me and for adopting me and for saving me. I believe that Jesus is my Savior and my Lord, and I commit my life to following Him. Thank you, dear God, for bringing peace on earth through Jesus Christ. In His name I pray. Amen. If. If you're watching uh, this uh, on Sunday morning, uh, there is a a little button that says, I commit my life to Jesus. And if you are doing that for the first time in your life, I want you to click that button. Uh, If that's something that you've already done and you are someone who has placed your faith in Jesus, then, then you can ignore that button or dismiss it. After you click that button, there's another one that comes up that says connect with us. Hit that one too, and it'll bring you to a page where you can share your information with us. Do that so that we can be praying for you, so that we can reach out and and follow up with you, and so that we can send you more information about, about where to go from here in your walk with Jesus. At Calvary, all of the promises of this awesome sovereign God are fulfilled. There is redemption, and there is life, and there is hope. At Calvary, the love of God has been poured out onto all of creation. At Calvary, our sins have been atoned for. The power of sin has been destroyed, and Satan has been defeated. All the requirements of a holy and just God have been met, through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. At Calvary, the work of our salvation is complete. Uh, dear God, I thank you for that truth. I thank you for what happened there at Calvary. Thank you that Jesus didn't stay dead, but that he beat death, that he rose from the dead. Thank you that we have this confidence and this hope because of Jesus Christ. Our desire, dear God, is to spend all eternity with you. Thank you for making that possible through Jesus Christ. Again, in Jesus' name we pray, amen.